Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 to 3. Now, faith is the substance of things expected or hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The external reveals the internal reality. For by it, faith, the elders obtained a good report. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Father, even upon first reading again today, we take note that the verses have a particular profundity about them that draw us into the words employed and the thoughts revealed, and especially today as we camp on verse 3, we understand that there is a deliberate connection between our salvation by grace through faith and the Genesis account of creation. And we pray today that as we attend to that, that our hearts and minds would be fortified in the truth and that we would find ourselves steady and confident and deliberate as we face the days of this coming week. Thank you for each one that is here to hear. And bless now thy people, we pray, in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. Dr. John Whitcomb was a friend to my young family and a humble servant of God. His contribution to Bible and science studies are simply phenomenal. Back in the 1970s, Whitcomb rewrote Hebrews 11.3 in evolutionary terms. He did so in order that the reader of his material would be able to identify evolution as religion. Whitcomb taught, Whitcomb preached, that the modern theory of evolution is indeed religion. And when he rewrote for that purpose Hebrews 11.3, this is how it reads. By faith, we evolutionists understand that the worlds were not framed by the word of any God, so that what is seen has indeed been made out of previously existing and less complex, visible things. By purely natural processes throughout billions of years. Whitcomb, as a modern defender of the faith in Christ, argued that the starting point for Christianity is not Matthew 1.1, but Genesis 1.1. Cut out of the same cloth, out of the same cloth is, is uh, that philosopher, Dr. Francis Schaeffer, 
who once quipped that if he only had one hour to spend with an unbeliever before that unbeliever died, that he would spend the first 55 minutes of that hour talking about creation and what it means for humanity to bear the image of God and then use the last five minutes to explain the way of salvation. MacArthur rightly has written of Hebrews 11.3, belief in creation by divine fiat is the essence of faith itself. Around here, we are big God people, not big bang people. We do not embrace the big bang. We embrace the concept of a great and mighty God. Before giving to us multiple illustrations of living and enduring faith, from the record of the Hebrew Scriptures, God's spirit-driven communicator defined faith in Christ in the terms of substance, evidence, and testimony. We got into that a little bit last week. Faith is substance, verse 1, in that it is the thing possessed within, based upon the word of God who cannot lie. The word substance literally means that which stands under anything, like a floor under your feet or the launch pad of a rocket. Faith is the floor beneath the child of God's feet, spiritually speaking. Faith is evident and evidenced in that the one possessing faith in God acts according to the truth declared. When I taught evangelism on the Bible college level, I would bring into the room on a particular day of class that I thought the students might be particularly sleepy. I'd bring in a, a bag, a pillowcase, and it would say on the bag, snakes. And I would, I would have that bag setting on the, on the lectern where I would uh, talk about the Bible uh, with my bag uh, that says snakes, and I'd have the top appropriately wound and knotted so that it looked like there might actually be snakes in there. And I made sure there was something in there that, you know, looked like it could be uh, snakes. And on a couple occasions when I used the illustration, I actually got something that moved around a little bit so that it really freaked people out. Uh, but nonetheless, I had my bag of snakes. And then I, I would simply say to the students, uh, I want you to close your eyes, and I'm going to open my bag of snakes. And don't worry, they won't, they won't harm you as long as your eyes are closed and you're still. And then I would open the bag, and sometimes I'd actually throw something out into the classroom. And, and people would jump, and people would peek, and people would do all kinds of goofy things. Because they had this idea that I might just be crazy enough to bring snakes. But one thing for sure is this, is that if I had a bag of snakes, and I did open it, and I dumped it up here on the floor, I guarantee you, nobody in this room would fail to react to it. And a number of you would say, out of here out of here, out of here. 
You see, that is an understandable evidence of faith. If you believed that there are snakes, then you react accordingly. The evidence of our faith is our reaction. When you and I say we believe God, when you and I talk about Christ, when you and I talk about the wonders and the blessing and the joy of salvation, well then, the evidence of that, if it's real, is going to be in our decisions for life. It's going to be in our manner of life. It's going to be evidenced, as it were. I note that the fact the word evidence, as it's found in verse 1 of chapter 11, is likewise translated in 2 Timothy chapter 3 uh, by the word reproved, that the word of God reproves us, or the word of God bears evidence, as it were, to us. And of course, in that case, it bears the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God convincing the heart of unseen realities. And then the last thing we said last time we were together from verse 2 is that faith is testimony. Faith is substance. It is the thing you got when it's real, real within. It's evidence. Because it is real within, it, it changes the aspect of your modus operandi. It changes the aspect of your external response. And then we are told in verse 2 that by faith the elders obtained a good testimony or a good report in that God consistently expresses his pleasure in every person who actually believes him. And I'm careful not to say believes in him, but believes him. The most important element of your faith and mine is not what we believe in, although that's an intellectual facet, but it is what we believe, and that we believe God, and on that basis then, act accordingly. Now this morning, we're taking into uh, greater consideration verse 3, where we can explore the relationship of faith and truth as it is developed in the pages of the sacred scriptures. And we start with uh, the unique connection of faith to conviction. Faith to our conviction or understanding of truth. Verse 3 says, through faith, we understand. Stop right there. Through faith, we understand. Faith, far, 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 far from being the antithesis of truth. Faith, far, 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 far from being the friend of ignorance. Faith actually produces genuine knowledge. By faith, we understand. Stand. Since the fear of the Lord is the beginning of actual knowledge, a person that believes God is truly knowing and informed. David, in Psalm 119, said that God's word 
believed made him wiser than his enemies. David credited his faith in God as making him an understanding and knowledgeable person above his enemies. Furthermore, David said that faith in God allowed him to possess more understanding than his teachers. A number of our children and young adults in our church attend the public school. And when they attend the public school, they come under the auspices of a teacher who has their own area of expertise, be it math or English or science or some other thing. But I can tell you for a fact that many of our children and a number of our young adults are actually more understanding of the truth than the teacher that teaches them. And the reason that they are is because God is on the foundation of their mind. Faith in God is what causes a person even smarter than your teacher. I'm not teacher. I'm not saying you know more math than your math teacher knows. I'm not saying you know more English than your math uh, teacher knows. I guarantee you that all my English teachers know more about English than I do. But nonetheless, uh, 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 I'm not saying that you know more in their narrow field of expertise. I'm just simply saying that as a believer in God, you can say exactly what David said. I have more understanding in life than my teacher. And then, of course, David also said, I have more understanding in life uh, than the ancients or the gray hairs or all the old people and the people that write that goofy magazine, AARP, have more understanding than all them people. The natural man's faith is off the rails because of his sinful pride in possession of earthly wisdom. But real, genuine faith in God is the beginning of smart. Is the beginning of wise. I read yesterday about how that artificial intelligence is becoming such a hot topic because it blurs the lines between the artificial and the real. And this past week, there was an entire newscast that was projected out there in media land in which the entire thing was generated by artificial intelligence. The people that were seen were not real people. The words that were said were not real words construed by any person. Uh, the things that were delivered in the new cast were 100% uh, uh, constructed and produced by artificial intelligence. And they went afterwards to say that the lines between the artificial and the real are getting blurred as never before. And I trust that you know that can't possibly be true. Why? Well, because while uh, artificial intelligence is a new thing, artificial living is not a new thing. And the idea of people that fake it and are artificial in it and the reality of what's real when it comes to things, that has been generation after generation after generation after generation. And there's only one way to be real, and that's the faith way. As the word of God demands of us faith 
in God. The secular man, the naturalist, believes that nobody times nothing equals everything. Absolute foolishness. But bad faith, like good faith, has intellectual components, emotional components, and volitional components. And let me just remind you what the Bible says about evolutionists. None of them believe it because it's more logical. None of them believe it because it's more intelligent. None of them believe it because it, on, on the merits of the facts. No, Romans 1 is very quick to tell us that people believe evolution because of the volitional facet. People believe evolution because of the volitional facet. Natural man's faith is off the rails because he doesn't want to believe in God. He doesn't want to submit to the word of God. And so you and I ought to give up the idea that we're going to be able to argue somebody to a better position of understanding in the Lord. No, no, absolutely not. Faith, faith. Conviction of the truth, the whole truth, the reality of truth comes by faith in God and in his word. Good faith, scripture says, come by, comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans ten seventeen. The Bible is the supremacy of truth, and I mean all truth. There's a relationship between faith and truth, faith and conviction, things you know for sure. And we ought to stick with that thought in all of our teaching, in all of our preaching, in all of our singing. If I had the opportunity to rewrite a, a gospel hymn, I'd rewrite, He Lives. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. I would change that. I would change that. I would change that. Why? That is an appeal to an inward thing that nobody can see. You ask me how I know he lives. I read it in his word. I see it in the Bible. I believe God. I believe God's word. You ask me how I know anything. It's about the Bible. And the ability of the modern Christian to say, oh God this and oh God that, and God would have us do this, and God would have us give that, and God would have us go here, and God would have us... That kind of stuff is just beyond the pale. Get back to the word of God and you will not fall. Because it cannot fail. You ask me how I know? God's word. You ask me how I know? Faith in God's word. By faith, says the scripture, we understand. Okay, i got to move on. Faith and construction. Through faith we understand that 
The words, worlds were framed by the word of God. Faith in construction. The worlds were framed by the word of God. The word worlds is interesting to me herein speaking of ages of time. Not necessarily the physical universe, although it certainly applies to the physical universe. But it speaks of being purposeful in design according to divine fiat. The pattern of Genesis 1 and 2 is brought to mind in which we are told that God simply calls a thing into existence and it was so. God said, let there be light. And there was light. Hebrews 11.3 tells us this truth and that the truth of this is required for all genuine reality. For anybody to be real in the core. We're going to read soon in this same chapter. That person must believe that God is. And that he is the rewarders of those that diligently trust him. Theologians use the term for creation ex nihilo. Meaning out of nothing. And that is used to say that God exists before all time. God exists outside all space. God is not his matter. He is before it. He is the maker of it. He is the sustainer of it. There is nothing in the Genesis account that is allegorical. There's nothing in the Genesis account that is mythical. It is the truth of, aura, uh, of universal origin. Genesis 1 and 2 is the truth of universal origin. Scripture says God did it. The secularist says it did it on its own over billions of years. Scripture says God did it in six yom, six days. The Bible says that God created man. The secularist says that man created the idea of God in order to satisfy his inner angst. Man has a, a troubled soul, a troubled existence, and so in order to cope with the difficulties of life, uh, the, the, the scientists and the secularists and, and the psychologists tell us that man created the idea of God, in order to satisfy his inner angst. The secularists and the evolutionists have faith. And I would argue greater faith than I do. And greater faith than you do. In that they believe that something came of nothing all on its own. Now, you and I also believe that something came of nothing. 
but not on its own. You and I believe that something came of nothing because God said, let there be. And there was. Without any proof or evidence, the secularist has embraced the idea of it, the glorious, the awesome, it of itself. Why, their faith is wide. Their faith is wild. Their faith is wicked. Our faith is narrow. Our faith is fixed. Our faith is grounded in the word of God and the God of action. Let there be light. There was light. This statement here in Hebrews 11.3 takes away any possibility of the thought that a person can be logically uh, uh, able to deny creation and rightly to speak of salvation in Christ. Now, this gets a little tricky, and let me see if I can help you with this. Does a person, when first hearing the gospel truth of Christ, does a person have to believe in the virgin birth in order to be saved? No. When a person hears first shares the gospel of Christ, do they have to understand uh, that God uh, who saves also made the world? Does he have to understand that, be cognizant of it, in order to be saved? No. You can hear the truth that Christ died for your sins, rose again the third day, and is coming back and believe it and be saved based upon it. But if you are saved, you will never deny the truth of the virgin birth once you hear of it. If you are saved, you'll never deny the truth of creation once you hear of it. So do you have to have all the pieces put together in your mind, in your mind, before you can exercise your faith in the Lord? Well, of course not. You have to believe the word of God. And if you hear some and you believe it, you're well on your way. But if you really are a person of faith, then you will not deny the bigger, broader elements of logic that connect in this regard. The Apostle John said of Christ, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. You can hear and believe the gospel without knowing God spoke a word and made the world and still be saved. But you cannot deny that and still think that you have anything but a very shaky salvation. There's a connection between creation and our salvation. Paul in Colossians chapter 1 declares Christ to be the creator and the sustainer of all things visible and invisible. If you take not the Bible account of creation, you cannot take the Bible account of salvation. God did not give us a book so that we could pick and choose. He gave us the whole of his word and all of it ought to be taught to God's people. All of it ought to be taught to God's people. All of it, the whole counsel of God, ought to be faithfully taught to God's people. That is indeed what church is all about. The faithful dissemination of the whole counsel of God to the flock. The third thing I want you to see this morning has to do with faith and its relationship to composition. The scripture says... Hebrews 11.3, it says, 
things seen were not made of things that do appear. We do believe that those words in Hebrews 11 commend the physical reality of molecular structure. AIG answers in Genesis in this generation has flourished in part of their ability to demonstrate time and again the truth of science and the truth of scripture not only in harmony but in ultimately a healthy embrace of all the truth of God. Faith in Christ is not made stronger by ignorance of any kind. Followers of Christ are the pursuers of Christ, uh, uh, the pursuers of truth, period. The things that we see are made or composed of things we cannot see. The top of the table looks to be fixed and static, and yet we know from science class that the wood is made up of molecules of atoms possessing protons, electrons, and neutrons, which are constantly moving and held in order with great design. If you just split one of the atoms on the table, we be gone. Things that are seen molecularly are made up of things you can't see. And yet now, because of the advances of modern science, we do know a lot about. However, it is likewise clear that the main point of Hebrews 11.3 has to do with the theological reality that all things seen exist and consist by the unseen hand of God. Now let me give you a couple theological words. They are theological words, but they're good words, and you should know them. The words are pure actuality. Pure actuality. By actuality, we mean that which exists and acts. Pure actuality has no possibility or potential for non-existence. Pure actuality has no potential for change. Why? It's pure. It's pure actuality. And what I just said to you is, God has no potential. Now, whenever you get around young people, there's always some old person that, uh, that will say something like, boy, I wish I was young again because you guys have so much potential. What is potential? It is nothing quite yet. <laughs> Man, she's got great potential. What does that mean? Nothing real yet. Nothing real yet, but potential, potential, potential. God has no potential. 
He's only real. He's all real. He's fully real. He's nothing but real. He has no potential. And he has, as no potential, the ability to change. We call that immutable. God cannot change. Why? He's pure actuality. Therefore, the Bible opens with that first and foremost statement of fact. In the beginning, God. God, who later, in the progression of written revelation, discloses himself to be the great Yahweh, or by translation, the great I am. And we know him to be the only ever-living, self-existent God. He is the determinator. He has determined all things, and yet he himself is not determined. Because there's nobody greater, there's nobody smarter, there's nobody uh, uh, bigger, there's nobody, uh, nobody more ultimate than God. He is pure actuality. He is the ultimate unseen one. And he gives existence to everything that does exist. And, of course, that includes all things seen and all things unseen. He alone is the uncaused cause of everything. Creation reveals something of his glory and handiwork. That's why when you leave today and see the sun in the sky and some brightness uh, around you, and some green, and some, and some pink, and some blue, and some white, that you can uh, have thoughts of God. The rhythms of days and seasons speak of his wisdom, his ways, and his wonder. This is God that made man in his own image and placed eternity in man's heart. He has been faithful to communicate something to himself, or something of himself, I should say, both to us, and in us. And yet there is more. I have the revelation of God to me in the creation around me. I also have uh, witness to God within me by nature of my own sense of creation at the hand of God. And there's more. He, God, over the span of 1,600 progressive years, revealed more and more of himself to holy men dedicated to his purpose and told them of his plan to save the sinful uh, reality of humanity until the special man of his own choosing. And thus we sing, doth ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. The Son of God, the Son of Man, our Savior, the only begotten of the Father, who alone is in the bosom of the Father, hath declared God to us. John 1.18 Because of Christ, we know God as Father, Son, and Spirit. As Hebrews said at the beginning of that book, God has spoken to us by his Son. 
who is indeed heir of all things and the creator of the world. Our faith and hope is in the Lord. We love him because he first loved us. And on that basis, we just continue to say what we've been saying in Hebrews all along. We've got to be talking about Jesus. We've got to be talking about the Lord Jesus. We've got to keep the focus of our minds upon our Lord. Father, thank you this morning for the listening ear.